celebrating 50 years of Drum Corps International. This is a Field Pass Special Edition. Field Pass Traditions. From the parking lot. To the tunnel. Check it out. Have fun. Unleash. Let's go. To the 50-yard line. On the field. This is your Field Pass with DCI's Dan Potter. Welcome back to the Field Pass audio podcast. I'm Dan Potter, and the 2022 Drum Corps International Tour is back just in time to celebrate DCI's 50th anniversary. The season begins this week in California with shows in San Diego, Pasadena, and San Bernardino. And then next week, Tuesday, June 28th, it's the DCI tour premiere at Ford Field in Detroit and on over 700 movie screens nationwide. With Phantom Regiment, Crossman, Blue Stars, Boston Crusaders, the Cavaliers, and the Bluecoats debuting their 2022 productions. After that, it is six weeks of cross-country competition, DCI's first full summer tour since 2019, culminating in the DCI World Championships in Indianapolis and Marion, Indiana, August 8th through the 13th. Over the years, the Field Pass podcast has come to Drum Corps fans in several forms. We started back in 2005, and then it was only available to members of DCI's first endeavor in digital distribution. Remember the DCI Fan Network? The Field Pass over the years has been part audio magazine, part radio show, part promotional tool for DCI. Most recently, in 2020, I took a step away from the audio podcast to concentrate more on some video projects from DCI, such as the Run It Back series, profiling the creators of the most iconic drum corps shows in DCI history. While I was away from the mic, my Irish buddy Keith Kelly took over with his fantastic Finding Drum Corps series. I highly encourage you, if you didn't listen to it, especially if you're new to this activity, find that Finding Drum Corps podcast from Keith Kelly at DCI.org and give it a listen. Now I'm back this summer with a special series of podcasts we're calling Field Pass Traditions. From now through finals week, we're going to pick at the peculiarities of this activity and find out why they came to be. Are the stories that we've heard true? What's fact? What's fiction? We're going to explore everything from signature tunes and core songs to cadences and street beats to the legendary locations where championships have been held. We'll even look at the evolving traditions of cores on tour, what it used to be like living in the so-called tour bubble, how food trucks have changed, and we'll even explore the traditional foods that individual cores crave. In this episode, we're going to start where so many of us started, the touchstone that hooked generations of us on drum corps. It happened to me In the lobby of the YMCA in Moline, Illinois, I was 15, I had just finished playing racquetball, and I was about to head home when I heard what I thought was a marching band on the TV in the lobby of the Y. There was already a group of kids gathered around that TV watching, and I found a spot on the floor where I sat, probably cross-legged, for the next several hours, watching a live broadcast of DCI Finals. I watched right up until they closed the Y for the day, and then I rushed home to watch the rest of it on my local PBS affiliate. The 
The championship's broadcast has been around for 47 of DCI's 50 years in one form or another, moving from PBS to ESPN to now the theater and flow marching, as well as the Blu-ray discs, which those discs really are the production of record for each season. Since these video products are the traditional way most of us see drum corps for the first time, that's going to be the first tradition that we examine here. We'll do it in two parts, this week and next, and my guests are people who've been intimately involved in most of those broadcasts. Host, Steve Rondonero. Good to be in Whitewater, and boy, oh boy, do we have a show tonight. Co-host, Dennis DeLucia. The role of drum corps percussion is twofold. One, we drive the car, and two, we color the picture. And Michael Cesario. I'm not convinced that that isn't the best core Santa Clara's ever had. And director Tom Blair. Ready, three, and take three. Push three. Drums. DCI held its first championship in Whitewater, Wisconsin in 1972. It was another two years before the DCI championships were broadcast. And then it was only a regional broadcast in upstate New York. When championships were held in Philadelphia in 1975, DCI's then marketing director, Don Whiteley, pulled off a miracle. Here's Steve Rondonero. God bless Don Whiteley. I'm still not sure how he did it, but by 1975, when we moved to uh, Philadelphia, he's convinced uh, the PBS network to take the finals live in their entirety. That's five hours of live network television. And that's when they uh, had a producing entity of WGBH in Boston. So they brought down Boston radio personality, Jess Kane, and they pulled Tim Moxley, off uh, off the podium after aging out of Santa Clara as the drum major. And Tim was the, uh, the first drum corps co-host. And he lamented to me that they stood them along the sideline at about the 10 yard line for the entire show, feeding them cue cards. And uh, that was as good as it got. Tim and you used to complain stuff. to me that I would put you at least up above where you could see in the end zone, right? I figured something would be coming from that comment and observation. <laughs> yes, indeed. So then the next year, 76, still in Philadelphia, they bring in uh, Pete Emmons, another former drum major. Pete actually co-hosted the show for three years, the first two with uh, Gene Rayburn, the host of the match game, and his wife, Helen. Mm -hmm. But we're still live on PBS, five hours, and it just, I mean, Drum Corps hit the big time. And we're establishing our entertainment creds. Those broadcasts and the celebrities who co-hosted were key to legitimizing Drum Corps in the eyes of skeptical band directors. I would say absolutely pivotal. Running a small-town Drum Corps at that time, I would run up against all kinds of opposition from band directors trying to recruit because we weren't uh, legitimate musical operation yet in a lot of their eyes you know we're blowing these weird horns with limited uh, range and technical ability and uh, whatever raps they wanted to put on us it was a hard sell that broadcast went a long way to legitimizing mm -hmm. us and again just you know you bring somebody like maynard ferguson or chuck mangione in and they said man these guys are good they can play that, that goes a long way with a uh, a band director, and that's a great big pulpit to be uh, preaching from. The you know, most gratifying thing for me is to this day, people will come up and say, man, you were my first exposure to drum corps. I marched be because I saw you on the, uh, the PBS broadcast and saw those drum corps. And uh, that was just huge, huge outreach for us. I know 
hundreds of people that have told me that they were first introduced to drum corps, not the least of which was one of our biggest supporters, uh, a guy named Bill Cook, yeah. who was who was drawn to watch drum corps by his son uh, as it as it appeared on PBS, and he thought that was pretty interesting, and uh, he became a, a an enormous supporter of of drum corps and formed the Star of Indiana and supported the PBS broadcast itself to the tune of, you know, untold hundreds of thousands of dollars. Uh, so that just that one incidence alone is, you know, was worth the price of admission. <laughs> Dennis, what do you think? I, well, I grew up in Bergenfield, New Jersey, where the, uh, the, the directors of music in the school system were none other than Dr. Bernard Beggs and Don Angelica. So those two guys uh, had me hooked into the drum corps scene long before I actually participated. So when the broadcast came along, it was just a natural thing to watch this thing and see what television could mean for it and to it. So, uh, so it, I thought it was uh, incredibly important along the way. Well, what do you think it was that made them want to do that original broadcast, you know? Back in uh, 74, drum corps was huge in upstate New York. And we, with the little small town squires, we were becoming uh, uh, international contenders at that point. You had two senior corps, one in Syracuse and one in Rochester that were heavyweights within DCI. And you had, I don't know, Dennis, uh, 50 junior corps potentially in upstate New York alone. So they knew there was a lot of interest, a lot of involvement. So they uh, pretty willingly tipped their toe in the water. I wish Don Whiteley was around to ask. I wish I would have been smart enough to ask back then what magic dust he sprinkled to uh, to sell the network on it in 75. Yeah. yeah so youth, youth activity. And as we got deeper into it, you know, we started attracting some pretty big name co-hosts that uh, – went a long way to establishing our entertainment creds. And uh, they were people that PBS would be proud to have on their air. Maynard Ferguson, Rita Moreno, Chuck Mangione, Pat Birch. It's my understanding that one of the things that Don Whiteley used was the idea that the pockets where the drum corps were also happened to be great markets. The Chicago, Milwaukee area um, with the, uh, Rockford and Madison and Chicago, all drum corps towns uh, within 90 miles of each other in great range in terms of television. And the San Francisco Bay Area with uh, a lot of things going on there, primarily Santa Clara at the time, but soon by 74, you're looking at uh, the Blue Devils being uh, in DCI as well. So there were pockets that he felt he could sell and Denver could sell. And he also used the drums along the Rockies as a selling point because he could show how many people came to this big show in the Denver uh, stadium and that this was the viewership that they, the market that they wanted to reach. Tom, what do you know about the, the PBS origin story with the DCI broadcast? You know, I don't know that much about the, the, the real, the very beginning of it. Um, I was, I was, still marching in drum corps at the time. Uh, but I agree with uh, you about Don Whiteley, who is possibly the most underappreciated, undersold name in the history of DCI, because he was a brilliant marketer. 
I mean, the reason to, to a certain extent, the reason I became involved was because of Don Lifeland. He, um, back in the day when you could have a summer job and do drum corps, the last year that I was uh, marching in Cavaliers, I actually worked at the DCI office and Don assigned me to the job of going through the ranks of each of the drum corps and finding their hometowns. And then if the tour or if there was a PBS station or if there was any connection between any member and any corps, we could then market and promote uh, in that town, which, you know, I mean, it's a lot of work, but it was, it was brilliant to make that connection. Um, so he just, he seemed to know everybody hmm. and uh, was just the champion of champions of, of drum corps in those formative years, very early on. This is your Field Pass, the official podcast of Marching Music's Major League. And this is a special edition of Field Pass, Field Pass Traditions. This time talking with four people who know very well the power of the broadcast of Drum Corps International that began on PBS, went to ESPN, and as you heard, now online, in theaters, and so much more. We're talking with director Tom Blair, co-host Michael Cesario, and Dennis DeLucia, and of course, reliable Rondo, Steve Rondonero. Tom, can you comment a little bit on the evolving nature of how people see and enjoy drum corps when they're not there in the stadium? Yeah, it's it's evolved and, and changed along with the technology uh, over many years. The, the first time on the PBS network nationwide was 1975, and that streak went unbroken until, I'm going to say 2005. Uh, in in one form or another, uh, it wasn't always live. Um, we had we had the live broadcast. We had a uh, highlight show. Sometimes we had both. Um, but in uh, in uh, what 99, 99, I came back and started working on it again. We were on PBS Live. We're off you. It was off PBS for the, the four years that I was away, right? Is that right, Steve? You, you didn't do it live. It was a, a highway well, show. Yeah, but we were there. Yes, you were. Uh, yeah, still still on PBS. Yeah. And then in, in 2004, we started this idea of uh, doing in the movie theaters. And uh, that was actually Ed Dempsey who uh, was directly involved in, in working that out on whatever level. And I, I thought it was great. I mean, I, I was very excited about it. Um, so we did that in 2004. By 2005, uh, we were uh, on ESPN. And we did ESPN in 5, 6, and 7. And that was when we stopped with PBS. So we were doing the cinema, we were doing ESPN, and uh, that's when the, the PBS relationship ended. Uh, and we've stayed in the movie theaters uh, ever since 2004. And, um, and, and it's, it's been a different audience, and, and we program the show differently depending on what network we're on. 
with PBS, it was more stories about the members of the core, um, what's going on behind the scenes, that sort of thing. When we were on ESPN, we looked at it as more of a competition, which which actually made sense to me, to the average viewer. These guys are get more points than those guys, you know, simple terms, easier to understand than Neapolitan chords and, uh, you know, the visual constructs that uh, people were talking about at the time. So um, depending on the audience is how we would program the show. And for the theater broadcast, it tends to be, show me the drum corps. And uh, so that's, we tend to come on and, and, and really assume that the people that are watching know what we're talking about, as opposed to starting with a very, very baseline understanding of what we're doing. Uh, and then uh, DCI as an organization started to put uh, shows, whether they were local shows or championships on the internet. So we, um, we had all of these kind of parallel media uh, running with the uh, with broadcast, the internet, the theaters, and of course, uh, all throughout, we've had first VHS tapes, uh, audio cassettes, CDs, evolved to DVDs. Um, uh, we did the first DVD in 2000, uh, and then introduced Blu-rays in 2009. Uh, once we moved to HD. So there've been there've been a lot of a lot of ways to watch drum corps, and uh, uh, I think throughout we we've always tried to make sure that it wasn't an alternative to seeing it live because there really is no alternative. At that same time, we were making the regional shows much larger, much more important, both competitively and in terms of the cores being ready for that to happen. So we could create a local buzz or a regional buzz that caused the, the thing to blow up online. And that's, that's important. And then from the very beginning, we, Tom always had some story of little Crispina has never eaten, but tonight she's playing the mellophone solo. Um, there's always some sort of hard luck story in which Dennis and I would roll our eyes um, because every kid, has sacrificed to get into that core. And um, uh, that was one of the things that uh, that we loved the most. I always was excited about the fact that Arita Moreno went, holy cow. Yeah. The idea that uh, all these celebs came to see him and went, they're not just playing, they're honking and running, you know, and, and I think, that gave us, as Steve said, that gave a certain sense of legitimacy to the entire uh, entire production. And then most of the time, these look pretty darn good. I mean, every year it got better looking and it was handsome to watch. And even if you're just kind of semi-following their colors and costumes and loud notes and people throwing things. And, uh, and that was uh, kind of interesting because you couldn't go at the time to the local stadium to watch a band contest, you couldn't see this. Yeah. It didn't look like this, it didn't sound like this. And we used it in, my original point was, we used it in tandem with growing the regional 
competitions so that if you saw it on TV, you might not be able to come to these days indie, but you could get to, you know, San Antonio and see it there. And that would create, that started creating lifelong fans. Next week, Tom, Michael, Dennis, and Reliable Rondo are back, and we're going to find out why what you see on the Blu-ray discs isn't always what happened on finals night. You know, I take the permanent record aspect of it seriously, but it's all about making drum corps look like marching music's major league on every level. Michael Cesario relives his most famous broadcast moment. So it starts with... Me saying, boy, they really splashed my buckle. And how Dennis DeLucia kind of became Dennis the Menace. We agreed which core shows were just awful. Part two of this Field Pass Traditions look at DCI's broadcasts next week. Until then, I'm Dan Potter, and I'll see you Tuesday at Ford Field in Detroit.